Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Welcome to What's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we have some updates with Letitia Stouk. We have updates in the Lori Vallow Daybell case, also Suzanne Morphew, and more. But first, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below, hit that notification bell to all. Some people aren't getting their notifications. Also, please give this a like and share it out where you can. Now, let's get into it. First, let's talk about Letitia Stoke. Letitia's attorneys filed a motion to delay her court hearing, which is actually scheduled this week for November 12th, 2020. The motion is requesting for more time for a competency evaluation. Now, the doctor had previously scheduled this evaluation for October 31st, but because of COVID, that didn't happen. And back in September, Letitia actually was found competent to stand trial, but the judge actually granted her a second competency evaluation after it was requested. So on October 30th, Letitia's attorneys filed a motion to postpone her hearing until after December 14th. The motion states that it's been difficult for her to meet with her doctor because of the outbreak in jail. Here's what the motion says. Ms. Stoke, through counsel, files this motion requesting additional time for the completion of the second competency evaluation in this case. She further requests that the hearing scheduled for a review of competency on November 12, 2020 be continued to accommodate the additional time necessary for completion of the evaluation. As grounds, Ms. Stoke states the following. On September 8, 2020, Dr. Grimmett was appointed by this court to conduct a second competency evaluation. The El Paso County Jail reported on October 29, 2020, that a growing outbreak of COVID-19 had been discovered among inmates. According to a press release on October 29, 2020, 72 inmates have tested positive for COVID-19 in the last week. The jail has not yet tested all inmates at the El Paso County Jail. The number of inmates who are positive for COVID-19 is likely to grow over the coming days and weeks. Dr. Grimmett previously contacted the El Paso County Jail to schedule an in-person competency evaluation of Ms. Stoke for October 31, 2020. As this court is aware, Ms. Stoke is housed at the El Paso County Jail on no bond in this case. On October 29, 2020, Dr. Grimmett contacted undersigned defense counsel and informed them that the jail has canceled all in-person visitation until at least November 30th, 2020. She requested this pleading be filed to request an extension of time to complete the second competency evaluation. Due to the prohibition on in-person visits, Dr. Grimmett will not be able to conduct a second competency evaluation until some date after November 30th, 2020. The prohibition on in-person visitation due to the COVID-19 outbreak at the El Paso County Jail has resulted in the need for additional time for Dr. Grimmett to complete her valuation of Ms. Stoke. The defense moves to continue the review hearing scheduled for November 12, 2020. The defense requests that a review hearing be rescheduled after December 14th to allow Dr. Grimmett 
adequate time to complete her evaluation, review her findings, write and submit her report. So the sheriff's office tested the El Paso County Jail and actually had soldiers with the Colorado National Guard to help collect 1,028 samples. The sheriff's office said that 693 inmates had tested positive for COVID-19 within the last week. Now, there's a statement from the sheriff's office on its response to the recent testing results. Here's what it says. To combat the rampant spread of the disease, the sheriff's office has implemented some very restrictive housing measures. These restrictions are not punitive. They are based on scientific data, medical guidance, and industry best practices as they apply to the layout of our jail. At this point in time, there have been no inmates who have had to be hospitalized. They are all being treated in the facility by our medical provider, WellPath. And so, as of this recording, the judge has not yet made a decision to extend this deadline. Now, a few interesting things to point out is the first competency hearing where Letitia actually was fit to stand trial was actually video recorded. And that would have been something to see, in my opinion. As soon as Letitia was arrested back in March, she tried all kinds of things, attacking a guard while being transported, plotting to escape jail with a broomstick. She wrote that four-page letter to the judge where she was talking about her threats and her peanut butter, all kinds of things really. And I wish I was able to see that video of her. I think we all are because I think it would have been quite theatrical. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. So I do find it interesting that she's doing another one. And I do wonder, I'm not sure the laws in this, but I do wonder if things just don't jive and line up to get this second competency. If the judge is able to go back and say, you know what, let's just go on the first one. I'm, I'm really not sure what the rules are on that, but I'd be curious to know. Maybe Scott Reich could tell us. <laughs> um, just because that's just something I thought about. Well, what if this drags on? Would they revert back? Or does she still have that right and they would just continue on and wait until the second competency? Very curious. This would mean also, however, that she would have time to concoct some more ideas such as, you know, escaping from jail, but maybe she has some different kind of theatrics to do, in my opinion, on this second competency. I can only imagine what the first one looked like. So this gives her some time to amp things up. Now, I do have faith in the professionals who can see right through what she has in store, kind of like Eduardo. Next, let's talk about Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell with their cases being joined because I read some very interesting uh, information on KTVB who reached out to a former Idaho Attorney General named David Leroy for a deeper look into uh, what's going to be happening. And he says, this is all now compressed into one proceeding, although there are differences. He says the witnesses will be called one time, but they're still able to be cross-examined twice, once by each defendant's lawyer. The defense attorneys will each make a separate opening statement to the jury, and they will each make a separate closing statement to the jury. So that's John Pryor and also Mark Means. Now the prosecution will then be able to include both defendants in a single opening and closing statement. So he says, uh, so while there are some procedural differences in terms of the structure of the trial, there are many things that are the same or identical, including the basic evidence that would be presented by the same set of witnesses. 
He also goes on to say that there's no rule in Idaho that prohibits a person from testifying against their spouse. And he also says there's a general proposition that a married spouse can't testify against the other and that does not necessarily include any situation where one or both spouses are actually charged with a crime and are participating in a trial such as they both are. They're both free to testify against each other should they choose to do so. He also said there was something very interesting about this case. He says what's procedurally unusual here is one defendant through his lawyer objected to a joint trial while the other defendant through her lawyer had no objection to a joint trial. He says typically those types of decisions would be coordinated and identical in this case they differed. And what's interesting about this is we see John Pryor wanting to separate Chad Daybell as far as possible it seems from Lori Vallow Daybell. So this is interesting how David Leroy says yeah this is really unusual here because usually you know they'll work together or they'll have a joint decision. And also last week I talked about there being a deadline for Rob Wood from Mark Means. Mark Means was requesting all types of things. He was asking for audio and video recordings, he says any communications, emails, texts, social media posts, voicemails, videos, statements, pictures, police reports, agency reports, notes, charts, graphs, and files regarding 17 different people. And I did mention that in a previous video. Now, he gave Rob Wood till October 29th, I believe it was 5 p.m. or so, to come up with this. In Mark's letter on October 19th, he said that Rob Wood's responses were not sufficient. And he says, after careful review, your response lacks compliance. This is our good faith attempt to resolve this issue prior to filing a motion to compel. Please provide full and complete response no later than 5 p.m. on Thursday, October 29th, 2020, to our office. Now, what's interesting is Rob Wood made a statement to East Idaho News, and it says this. In our American justice system, prosecutors have a solemn obligation to ensure a fair trial for every defendant. This is a responsibility that I take just as seriously as I take my obligation to protect the safety of this community. An important part of ensuring a fair trial for the defendant is to provide appropriate information pertaining to the case to defense counsel. We have provided Mr. Means with a large amount of the information he requested as well as items he didn't request. Given the complexity of this investigation, additional information is still in the hands of investigators and analysts and will be provided to the defense as soon as it becomes available. Another critical part of protecting the defendant's right to a fair trial is the avoidance of unnecessary pretrial publicity, such as the inappropriate release of this letter. For this reason, we have not and will not attempt to litigate this matter in the media. Next. I do not have a whole lot of updates in the Suzanne Morphew case, but I can tell you there's some really weird things happening. Suzanne still is missing. We have not found her, authorities have not found her, and there's not a whole lot of information from the authorities. YouTubers are actually working very diligently on this case, a variety of YouTubers. And I know Adventures with Purpose were down in Salida in the Maysville area looking for Suzanne. And they actually had to pull out from my understanding due to safety concerns. Now, this is really, really strange to me. And even Jared said this in his video. He said that this is like the second weirdest case he's ever worked on. And it's hard not to, it's hard to disagree, right? 
there's some weird things happening, numerous weird things. People are being threatened for their life. Um, Adventures with Purpose are down there to help and they have to be concerned about their safety. And there's just some really strange things happening. And when you really sit back and think about it in its simplest form, why are people who are wanting to help being threatened by various people? It doesn't make sense. And if it was something that was truly an accident that happened to Suzanne or she was abducted or something, an abductor, in my opinion, is not going to stick around Salida in Maysville and threaten people who come there. They're going to be far away, again, in my opinion. So why is so why are people being threatened for their safety or their lives when they're just coming to help out to find Suzanne? So really, when you think about it in its simplest form, there's some crazy stuff going on. People are offering to go search, yet some of them are there, you know, like a mole, so to speak. And I have been working on a video that's almost ready to go. It's just this little tiny bit information. The weird thing is, I haven't got confirmation from anybody about uh, the information I'm looking for, which is the fire that happened. It's supposed to be 5.5 acres of a fire and no one can give me a direct answer. In fact, I'm not getting a direct answer. I'm getting uh, circled around. You guys know the term I use. (laughs) It's not the right term, thanks to my sister, but it is the term, and um, I'm really curious of what the heck's going on. So I will update you with some other stuff uh, once I get caught up because I did have a member live stream earlier today, and they were giving me some info snacks, so to speak, on this case but there is some weird things happening and I don't know what to think anymore there's just it's just really super strange I'll leave it at that and finally in Suzanne's case I did reach out to Lauren Scharf I'm waiting to hear back from her maybe we could have her on the channel and have a little chit chat and see what's happening and what's going on let me know who you'd like to see next in any case on my channel as a guest let me know in the comments below I want to talk a little bit about Vanessa Guillen. We haven't talked about her much on this channel in in recent months. We talked a lot before, but not in recent months. So there's a few things that's very important that's happening. Number one, I read that Fort Hood actually announced on Tuesday that the death of Vanessa Guillen occurred in the line of duty is what they're saying and this designation actually helps the family to be entitled to certain army benefits Uh, there was a quote and it says typically these benefits include compensation to immediately help the family with expenses funeral with full military honors the service members group life insurance and final pay and allowances also cecily aguilar who's in jail right now she's waiting for her rearrangement which is scheduled now for november 10th and it was scheduled for the end of october i believe but now is for november 10th which is tuesday and jury selection and trial will begin on november 30th and next megan fiera muska this is a head scratcher to me too i understand that a lot of courts are closed but we do see different states getting around this by doing a lot of video and that kind of thing. Here's what's super, uh, super bizarre is 
every month I check, since February, about Megan Fieramuska. And if you guys are wondering who that is, that's the woman who's in jail for her best friend, Heidi Broussard, who was killed in December. It's almost going to be a year in three weeks from now. So every month I check and every month this court date is pushed out. February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and now October and then November. And, uh, November. So November is supposed to be coming up. The court date right now is set for November 24th, 2020 at 9 a.m. So we potentially have four different important dates this month. We have Cecily Aguilar on the 10th, Letitia Stoke tentatively on November 12th. Stay tuned for that. And then we have the jury selection on November 30th with the Vanessa Guillen case. And then we also have Megan Fieramuska on November 24th. So pretty busy this month. If there is some information that I didn't include today that you are aware of, I'd love to hear about it. Let me know in the comments below. You can shoot me an email at itsacrimeandashame at gmail.com. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please like and please share. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon.